0: It's encouraging that investors are kind of starting to huddle around the idea that we can't overlook the important role that, that the egg sector plays just broadly in societal well-being
1: welcome to the ivy academy presents leadership in practice your source for new research insights and advice on critical issues in business in this episode Produced in partnership with the Ivy Centre for Building Sustainable Value and the Institute for Sustainable Finance, we discuss the role that regenerative agriculture can play in the transition to a more sustainable food system in Canada and beyond. We're joined by John Uren, Managing Director, Sustainable Finance at BMO Capital Markets, Charlie Angolakos, Vice President, Global External Affairs and Sustainability at McCain Foods, and Diane-Laure-Argelis, Associate Professor, Managerial Accounting and Control, General Management and Sustainability at Ivy Business School. Listen in for a timely, vibrant discussion on how the food industry and financial sector can work together to scale the adoption of more sustainable practices by producers. We'll also unpack a new report from Ivy, Advancing Regenerative Agriculture in Canada, barriers, and enablers to explore Canada's role as a global leader in sustainable agriculture. This episode is hosted by Brian Benjamin, Executive Director of the Ivy Academy at Ivy Business School.
2: My name is Brian Benjamin and I'm the Executive Director here at the Ivy Academy. Thank you so much for joining us here today. This is the second live stream in the Future of Agri-Food series, which we're delivering in collaboration with our colleagues at the Ivy Centre for Building Sustainable Value and the Institute for Sustainable Finance. This series convenes key Canadian thought leaders to explore Canada's role in the future of the agri-food system and the key opportunities and challenges facing the sector. And today, we're going to explore the role that regenerative agriculture can play in the transition to a more sustainable food system and how the food industry and financial sector can help incentivize and scale the adoption of more sustainable practices by producers. We're joined by three terrific panelists who all have extensive expertise and experience in this field. Our first panelist is John Urin, Managing Director of Sustainable Finance at BMO Capital Markets. John leads product development and strategic initiatives across the enterprise, including raising capital and providing sustainable finance opportunities to clients. He's also a member of the bank's Energy Transition Group. Next up, Charlie Angelakos is the Vice President of Global External Affairs and Sustainability at McCain Foods, where he leads the company's external communication, public affairs, and sustainability strategy across 160 countries. Before joining McCain, Charlie worked at Labatt Breweries of Canada. For 18 years, most recently as Vice President, Legal and Corporate Affairs. Our final panelist, Diane Lore argilais is Associate Professor, Managerial Accounting and Control, General Management and Sustainability right here at Ivy Business School. Her research aims to push the boundaries of knowledge and practice by investigating how the fashioning of new devices and or collective actions can help transform markets towards sustainability. She has studied the emergence of responsible investing, conservation finance, impact assessment, integrated reporting, and alternative currencies. To help frame our session, uh, we're excited to welcome uh, Professor Ryan Reardon, who is the Director of Research at the Institute for Sustainable Finance. He's going to provide a more in-depth introduction and frame for our discussion today.
3: Uh, Thanks a lot for for inviting me. I feel like the wolf in uh, sheep's clothing as the the Smith School of Business uh, interloper here at the uh, Ivy Academy. Um, So Institute for Sustainable Finance, what are we? Well, we are uh, an institute that's based um, at the university I just mentioned. We were at the time, and still, well, I I guess we are still the first ever cross-cutting collaborative hub. And uh, the idea is that we're going to, well, we fuse academia, private sector, governments, and really looking at Canada's sustainable finance capacity. So I think the one thing that makes us I don't wanna say different, but at the time anyways, it was distinct is that we really look at sustainable finance and not sustainability more general or sustainable business. Important topics, super super important, just not what we were focused on and still not what, what we're focusing on. So the Institute's mission is to align mainstream financial markets with Canada's tradition or uh, transition to a sustainable economy, and really, we always say we know our job's done when we don't call it sustainable finance anymore; it's just finance. We uh, are well supported, and you know some of our supporters are are, are here. Uh, our founding contributors: BMO, CIBC, RBC, Scotiabank, TD. We also have some other supporters that I won't go into too much detail on, but they've all been extremely important. Particularly the IV Foundation which is the namesake of of the Ivy School. Some of our pillars, and then I'll get a little bit to the CSFN and maybe a little bit to the reason why we're here. Uh, Really research, we've done uh, uh, work on the capital mobilization plan, looking at sustainability reporting in TSX firms, uh, natural assets, carbon markets. We have a sustainable investing program, collaboration, including the one today with the Ivy School of Business, CPA Canada, and sort of a number outreach, events like this, lectures, conferences, uh, social media. And then I think one of the main reasons that we're here, I don't want to say the main reason, but a particular reason we're here is that we're also the convener of the Sustainable Finance Network. Um, And the main or one of the main goals is our CSFN grant. And uh, the CSFN grant is what we're here for today. And so one of our first, in fact, I think it was our inaugural grant with uh, Deanne Lohr was on sustainable agriculture. This is a report and I've been told that the link to the report is now live and it's gonna be in the chat and and uh, published and the title of the report that i've read in detail myself and we're going to hear more about today advancing regenerative agriculture in canada barriers enablers and suggestions and i think it's a really important study i mean you know we've all probably eaten at least two or three times today i'm in munich germany right now so i'm onto my fourth meal when i when i get my schnitzel but you know a lot of us have already eaten so we just sort of know how Critical that is, and if you look at the importance in terms of uh, the emissions that we have and, you know, how we can change, how we can transform, you know, what we're eating, the amount of carbon we're emitting at the same time, I think is, uh, is extremely important.
2: Well, thank you, Ryan. Uh, I really appreciate how you sort of framed uh, some of the pieces that we kind of, as humans, maybe even take for granted and put a little bit more context in terms of being uh, deliberate. Uh, You teed us up beautifully in terms of, we're so excited we've got a new report that is just out. And so I'm going to turn it over to you, Diane Lore, who can give us a bit of a sneak peek. I know it's hard to do justice in in a few minutes, but hopefully it will pique enough interest, frame our conversation, and then everyone's going to be ready to dive into all the great details that the report provides.
4: Thank you. Merci. Bonjour à tous. Uh, Thank you so much again for CSFN, for the founding, for the report. And we're not in competition. We have enough in our plate to collaborate across universities and groups. And this is really the spirit we are at Ivy. I want to say that there are a team of authors here and um, Jean-Francois, michelin and myself. So I'm leading the Sustainable Finance Lab, but um, I'm relying on a team of researchers and they're the ones doing a lot of work, you know, so I really want to to pay homage to that work. I'm just going to go and uh, and this lab is one of the four impact labs uh, when it comes to uh, the BSV Center. So what is regenerative agriculture? Because uh, even when we decided to keep the title, we had some conversation because it is a controversial title and people might disagree about it. So we decided to keep it because first we, we asked the question, we used this term, but also because it does uh, lead to some specific understanding, which is basically, as I put the definition here, is how you want to seek uh, to enhance ecosystems. So regeneration, again, comes from uh, conservation biology, and it is about supporting life on land, you know. And so it's more a paradigm of of a way of farming, enhancing ecosystems, instead of draining the land. And right now, 40% of the land worldwide is Degraded. It means that it doesn't have the organic matter that it should be having on the land. And those are very, uh, there are issues because of that, of yield, of flooding, and so on. Uh, there is an abundance of science, uh, both Western science and indigenous science, that show that regenerative agriculture is really a great practice, you know, and that farmers want to uh, have a healthy land, that yields can increase over time, and, and that. And super ecosystem services, it's better for the planet, it's better for our resilience to climate change. But then when we look at the numbers, we don't see a huge adoption of regenerative practices. So the question of the report was quite simple, is that how can we explain this absence, relative absence of uh, um, adoption of regenerative practices. And I say relative because there are some farmers who adopt those practices, of course. I want to say that to do the report, we really spoke to a lot of farmers. So right now on the webinar, we have uh, financiers because the first uh, webinar was more about farmers. It's a series of webinars, but it's really important to understand that we'll are the main actors in this developments? they are the farmers. And so what we've shown in the report is that basically everybody puts pressure on them, but the business model for them is not there. The incitations are not there. And basically what's she's showing in this slide is that regenerative agriculture goes beyond the farm, you know? And so what we did in this report, we said, okay, let's do a report. It's a one-on-one report for financiers, uh, for anyone with interested in regenerative agriculture to understand the big picture of what we're talking about. So we uh, adopted a systems lens, which means that we looked at the problem with a specific lens, which means by we tried to get each stakeholders and right holders and like the migrant workers, the governments, the consumers, the producers, indigenous communities. And we were trying to see what was the barriers and the enablers at each level of the value chain. Of course, we're in the sustainable finance lab and we got a grant from CSFN. So we really focus also on the role of financing because we also work on new type of financial products addressed by diversity and regenerative practices needs. So we really also wanted to understand that role. If you look at the Reports. It's a dense report. Don't be afraid. There's an executive summary. They're going to be a, a full deck online. There's going to be policy briefs. But we really met the report so you have the latest evidence base. Uh, research, evidence-based arguments so you can really dig into the numbers, dig into what's going on in Canada, get best practices wherever you are in the value chain. If you're a government, if you're a producer, if you're an investor. Key recommendations, and I think there's like five points. Clearly, we uh, suggest that we need to advance clarity around regenerative agriculture and it's a paradigm of farming. So what we show is, of course, nobody really agrees on what regenerative practices are because they're going to vary according to the land you are farming on. You're not going to address, uh you're not going to enhance ecosystem the same way if you're in New Brunswick or if you're in Manitoba. So that's... Saying that, it's important that we have some key principles and we agree on that so that people can start working together and avoid greenwashing practices, for for instance. The second key element is the need to advance accounting for nature's value. A lot of food producers say that they they put pressures on farmers to, to farm adequately and do more regenerative practices. But the truth is that when it comes to the incentives, they're not there, you know? Basically, the farmers carry the risk, they carry the cash flows at the beginning to transform the practices, and it takes an horizon between five to seven years, really, to get the, the new type of value model come. And so we need to advance and develop new type of ways to account for this nature of value and also to financialize it, which goes back to the need for an inclusive financial infrastructure. We need to think about innovative thinking and hybrid approaches here probably looking at concessional finance with public and private uh, financing for the beginning, probably thinking about a share of value across the value chain, which means maybe bringing the uh, food producers, uh, the consumers, like really to try to get a systems approach to the issue, because uh, once again, the farmers won't solve the problem alone. The last uh, first point, which is really, really important, is that the farming is one of the few industries where the increasing number of migrants raise a lot of social issues, you know, migrants, workers are not that well respected and this is a bit of a is- big issue because they're the ones who carry the industry that's a big problem. And the other issue as well is that regenerative practices are being associated a lot with indigenous practices and for a very long time they've been excluded as the same with black farmers. So what we find in the report is that we won't be able to transition our uh, farming industry and agricultural industry if we don't look at the social justice lens, you know, since a systemic change. A lot of it is based on cultural assumptions, based in the 70s with the assumption of progress and, and modernization, industrial farming. We also need to embrace um, a just transition. So we, we have some sections on that uh, migrant workers, indigenous ways of, of practicing farming. And, and black farmers as well. And, and I guess you understood that key message. I think the key message of the report is really a call for systems level solution, a call for people now to sit down at the table and really to take it seriously because it's not only a food safety, a food security, it's not only a just transition, Uh, It's also climate resiliency and um, the independence of Canada in the future. So it's a really, really important topic.
2: Thank you. I can't wait um, for our our participants here to to go into more detail. And I think you did a great job of framing what was a lot of work by a lot of people that's going to provide, I think, some real tremendous insights. So, uh, John, uh, Charlie, I'll let you arm wrestle. Who's going to dive in first? Uh, Initial reactions to some of the um, recommendations. Uh, that uh, Diane Lohr just hit on, John.
0: Sure, I'm happy to jump in first, Brian. Thank you and, and kudos to the, the Ivy Academy, to the CSFN and of course, Diane Lohr, to you, congratulations. This report looks fantastic. You know, I think it's in terms of initial reactions just from the high level overview you gave, I think you've done a great job of really looking at it from an inclusive lens, right? You talked about systems level adoption and, and why, you know, the slower adoption of regenerative practices, it's not a farmer or a producer problem right? We have to look up and down the value chain and and all the way through to the consumer, right? And and start thinking about creating the right types of incentives for success for the various players. And you talked about a timing issue a little bit around the misalignment between um, some implementation of regenerative egg practices and the returns. And, And we see this time and again, where, you know, farmers may see a bit of a lag or even a decline in profits, from when they first make those initial investments uh, and until they start turning over the medium to longer term, turning into profits in the form of decreased input and labor costs, uh, as well as you know increased revenue from crop rotations, improved soil health, et cetera. I think bridging that gap on timing is critical from a financing perspective, right? And and blended finance is one option, and Deanne Law, you mentioned like concessionary financing from the public sector perhaps that can maybe tilt the, the risk mitigating uh, the, the risk mitigation and, and really enhance and, and crowd in public and private capital rather. I think it's a good time now, the Canadian government through its sustainable egg strategy, uh, as well as through, you know, money earmarked through the Canadian Growth Fund for decarbonization initiatives. I think there's a lot of focus on it from the public sector. And now it's time for the private sector to, to fill that backload and, and really make sure we're getting capital and incentives to, to the right players at the right time. Yeah,
5: absolutely, and thank you. It's it's great to uh, to be here with everybody talking about regenerative agriculture. It's actually something that we are extremely passionate about. For McC- at McCain, um, we built our business in partnership. With our farmer partners and for us regenerative agriculture is really working in partnership uh, with our farmers to mitigate climate change but at the same time build a resilient food supply chain uh, for the future for us and kudos on the report i think it lays out quite clearly what we all collectively need to do uh, in the value chain to get to a much better place to implement
2: uh, regenerative agriculture with uh, with great urgency. Thank you, thank you both, John and Charlie, for some of your initial comments, uh, Dan Lord I want to pick up on on something really important that you mentioned, which is the voice of the farmer and and how the voice of the farmer is incorporated in our previous live stream. But but throughout this work and throughout this sort of process, if you will, so the the concept of regenerative agriculture is sometimes seen as contentious within farming community. Can you elaborate a little bit on on sort of what that means and and sort of maybe where it could go in, in the future?
4: Yeah, and uh, there was a question in the Q&A as well, so I put the link to the definition. So we did in a report, we did a, a proper literature review of um, the terms, and we haven't found a meta-analysis of 265 uh, surveys that show the different uses of the terms. So, for sure, there's not a uh, common use. And um, people might say sustainable agriculture, organic agriculture. Um, so there's some distinction between those. Again, what you have to remember is basically in the the paradigm of uh, industrial agriculture as we know it in Canada, but but also in France, for instance, um, is really based on industrial farming. So even the way the government categorizes land use, you know, they have a classification, it's based on the ability to use industrial farming machineries to farm the land. That's the main concept, because this is what efficiency looked like when we developed it in the 70s. The the organic matter, of course, is part of it, but it's not the core of the of the classification and 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 persons by the government. So what we mean by regenerative is instead of extracting and trying to just look at the production and the how easy it is to get yields, you know, and and we have to to feed ourselves. That's we have industrial farming. It's looking at the lo- the life within the land, the organic matter there, how the ecosystems are working. Which means that right now governments. Canada and other countries, they are committed to 30 by 30, which means they want to protect 30% of lands and water by 2030 for climate resiliency. The way we'll do that is through the farmings. The farmland is one of the key land we need to enhance from an ecological uh, resiliency mode, because this is how we're going to achieve that. It's not by protecting national parks up North. It's by helping our farmers work really uh, new brands like Manitoba, Ontario, BC, you name it. We also included a uh, ranchers, of course, in a in a report, and so to do that, we need to think about farming as both a way to feed ourselves and and produce crops, and of course, give a, a a good living, a standard of living to our farmers, but also about valuing the role of farmers and land towards land caretakers, and also for the ecosystem valuation services they offer to us. And at this point, no one, with some exception, I'm looking at uh, Charlie right now, but no one is really paying for those services so this is called a typical what we call the tragedy of the commons. everyone is benefited everyone's committed to it but no one is ready to change the business model and the value chain and the valuation model to really price this and so this is what we're looking at right now and this is also what at ivy we took farming as the key industry we look at for carbon reason of course but because we think it's the key key industry to trigger change.
2: Uh, Charlie, um, let's hear a little bit about McCain, given the size and scope of of your great organization and the role um, that producers play. So so you you touched on it a bit, but a little bit more around how you're sort of defining sort of regenerative agriculture as it relates to the relationships that you have with, with producers.
5: Sure, absolutely. First, let me start by saying that the importance of regenerative agriculture at McCain arose out of the urgent need for climate action. Increasingly, as a business, over time, we would have had a bad crop year sort of every 10 years. You never knew that it was coming, uh, and you just sort of deal with it within the business. Um, And what we found over the past decade, we were having multiple bad crops uh, in one year, and those were all related to climate, whether it was drought uh, or flooding or wildfires, so that we knew we sort of had to take action. Uh, so what we did was we commissioned a climate change study uh, to build a case for change for the way we would do business um, and the need to adapt for the long term. And the climate study really showed the reality of a food system by 2050. Uh, and we really knew that we had to act with great urgency and immediacy. So that really set uh, the stage for our commitment that all our acreage uh, by 2030 will be 100% farmed regeneratively. So at the end of the day, uh, the climate urgency is something that made us galvanize and focus on what we needed to do. Um, At the end of the day, again, we built our business uh, in partnership uh, with our farmer base. And this is really about mitigating climate change and building a Resilient supply chain for the future, and thank you
2: for for speaking to the to the realities of of what was you know once in a hundred years, once in ten years feels like it happened last year, right? And, and so it's just it's so much more volatile, and we need to have that that forward looking view, uh, John. Um, you know, from from an investor standpoint, you know, it would be great to hear some of of your perspectives. I know BMO uh, is doing a lot of really important work in, in this space. Um, what are, what are some of your thoughts?
0: Yeah, and, and and we are and it's a priority for us, Brian. Like we're really focused on supporting the you know rural communities throughout North America. But just picking up on what Charlie said around McCain's imperative for action, i.e. to have all acreage by 2030, you know, implementing regenerative practices, It was, like he said, a climate urgency, right? There was commercial reasons up and down their supply chain that they had to do this, that they've made this commitment and this announcement. And frankly, that's, as BMO looks at it, that's the same lens that we're looking at it through as well, is... We can't be on the sidelines and say, this is someone else's problem, or this is something for another day or someone else to solve. You know, was, We're a 206-year-old bank, I believe. <laughs> and you know, through that time, we've supported Rural Canada in, in a variety of ways, but principally through financing. And I think if we want to continue that into the future, we have to take into the realities and the risks that we see today uh, and project them out into the, into the future and do our best to help our clients mitigate those risks. But from an investor perspective, right, there isn't there isn't a definition of regenerative agriculture that everyone agrees on, right? And, and to me, or to BMO anyway, it's really around thinking of different practices and farming in ways that enhance ecosystems, be it through, you know, water, biodiversity, soil, etc. But I also think that focus on social considerations that deanne lore mentioned, um, things like a just transition, you know, ensuring the health of, rural Canada, thinking about migrant workers, their health and safety and prosperity, uh, as well as honouring traditions of Indigenous peoples, those parts, the social considerations, they they do often get lost in some of the discussion of regenerative agriculture and what sustainable agriculture looks like into the future. For investors, if you're looking at this very black and white uh, agriculture, I think it's 10% of Canada's greenhouse gas emissions come from the ag sector, which is Frankly, lower proportion than a lot of other countries, but nevertheless still high. Um, so I think there's a bit of a stigma around the sector at times from investors. But but the good news is there's a lot of great work going on both within Canada and, and beyond. And, and namely, you know, there's a public-private coalition uh, that's putting together what's called the National Index on Agrifood Performance. That's really laying out science-based definitions of what constitutes sustainability in the egg sector, principally across the environment. Through an economic lens, uh, from a food integrity and food security perspective, as well as societal well-being, Um, so they've published a couple of reports, and and BMO hasn't been has been involved in those uh, to date. So, trying to define what you know sustainable egg looks like, and then in the public markets, right? We've seen we saw eighteen billion dollars worth of sustainable debt issued last year by agriculture issuers, uh, as well as food and beverage. That was on the back of twenty-two billion the year before. That was on the back of forty-five billion in sustainable debt in 2021. So that's, you know, green bonds, use of proceeds bonds where borrowers are using the proceeds to finance different sustainable egg practices. Uh, we've also seen a lot of sustainability linked loans. Uh, we actually structured one in 2021. Uh, with Saputo. is a billion dollar loan where the interest that Saputo paid on the loan could be reduced if they achieved certain targets related to greenhouse gas emission intensity reduction, uh, as well as their water usage. Um, So we see these innovative products that are out there. Um, no question we need to see more of them. And, and that this is obviously the nut to crack. But it's encouraging that investors are kind of starting to huddle around the idea that we can't overlook the important role that, that the egg sector plays just broadly in societal well-being, and the important role, of course. And so, I think it's one where we're going to see investors to continue to focus, even if their definitions of what constitutes regenerative egg may be a little different. Uh, we still see the, the need to purchase these bonds and, and invest in these companies that are doing right.
2: I think your your comment around. The need to be perfect, right, in terms of a, a perfectly aligned definition, you know, c- could cause inertia. So, so let, let's kind of work with what we have, and and let's make the most of it, and and let's learn, and let's try these creative new approaches to 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 incent and and to recognize and and reward. Um, I, I it'd be great to hear a little bit more, uh, Charlie, from McCain's standpoint, and I'm going to come back to you, Diane Law, given the relationship McCain has, and and you know, with producers. Are you thinking about incentives or, or, you know, what does that relationship kind of look like as you as you move forward to try to to create the the right, you know, the desired outcomes that we're looking for here? First and
5: foremost, uh, we are
2: fortunate as a company,
5: again, uh, that we have a direct to farmer relationship uh, with all our growers, whereas some other companies might work through brokers. So we have the ability to discuss firsthand and listen to the needs uh, of our of our farmers, and I would divide your question into sort of two answers. The first piece is financial incentives that will help with the transition. We do know uh, that there will be a cost for this, and someone's going to have to bear the cost, especially in the early years before a grower start seeing the benefits, the full benefits of regenerative agriculture. So what we've done is in different parts uh, of the world, we've entered into arrangements with different banks for our growers, uh, where they could get preferential rates on loans or loans would be backstopped, uh, as an example. So um, in Europe, we have partnerships with uh, Rabobank and Credit Agricole. In France, in Canada, uh, we've entered into an arrangement with uh, fin- uh, Farm Credit Canada, Uh, to assist our farmers uh, with those transition. It's not one size fits all. So there are other arrangements where in different parts of the world, we enter into contractual arrangements with our growers, that they get a long-term contract if they regeneratively uh, farm with a premium on top of that from a contract perspective. So we are working hard to give our farmers the tools they need to make the transition uh, along the way. And then the second part of this, there's an education component. We need to give our growers the training they need, uh, and also examples that regenerative agriculture works. So in addition to the financing aspect, we do have an education component. So we've launched three farms of the future, Uh, we've committed to three farms of the future, we've launched two of them. The first one is in New Brunswick. And the second one is in South Africa. And what these are, they are commercial grade farms that McCain runs uh, on our own, where we are practicing different regenerative techniques, and we're trialing them and proving that it actually works. Some techniques are successful, some do not work. But at the end of the day, we're bearing the responsibility so that our grower can, you know, get the benefits of this. But at the same time, if we fail, The grower does not have to fail. And the way we've set um, these farmers of the future up is in New Brunswick, uh, that is a one growing season farm, whereas in South Africa, it's four growing seasons. So at the end of the day, what happens on the farm in South Africa, we can export those best practices into Latin America. And what happens in New Brunswick, it can be in other parts of the world as well. And it's early days. uh, But we are proving that these techniques work, our climate outcomes are quite good and our yields are either flat or growing. So we are very bullish about what we are working on. But at the same time, we need to work collectively to scale uh, these practices so that we can uh, not only hit our commitment, uh, but
0: help others along their journey to regenerative agriculture as well. I could just jump in really quickly on, on that point, Charlie, like the, the education piece is brilliant. And I I really encourage that McCain takes that seriously. We've seen that in the private sector with some other corporates as well. Like I don't know if this group saw, but Nutrien and Bungie entered into a commercial arrangement. So Nutrien, a Canadian company last year where Nutrien is effectively, you know, filling that education gap with some of Bungie's farmers around doing things like crop consulting services and and applications of fertility and chemistry and, and even things like analytical testing of soil and water, et cetera. And in exchange, Bungie is essentially saying, you know, we'll work with these same farmers uh, on offtakes effectively. So manage harvest and and post-harvest commercialization uh, based on the education and implementation that Nutrien is able to, to educate their farmers on. And so I think when you see these types of commercial arrangements come in as well, you start to see the flywheel effect where you can actually be economically quite advantageous to implement these types of. Uh, initiatives and and that's where you start to see the returns more near term than you know delayed like I was mentioning earlier.
2: Yeah, thank you, um, thank you for those comments and 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 I appreciate that the, sort of the dichotomy here where where we're looking to achieve scale and recognizing that a one size fits all approach is just not in the cards, uh, but also the appreciative piece around it is there is a transition period right is is it's not going to be here today there tomorrow and, and the transition period often requires you know time, um, resources, money investment, uh, and so forth to so appreciate the sort of the creative approaches that are being tested in different parts of the world. Um, Diane Lor, you know from your perspective, you know what would you like to see like how, how do we how do we kind of keep this momentum as we do look to achieve scale and, and support and incentivize as, as we move along?
4: Uh, I want to push back John a bit. Uh, I think his accounts for the financing of regenerative agriculture was a bit optimistic. Beside FCC, really, uh, from Credit Canada, and uh, we have put uh, incentives and it's still small loans and small mortgages. I don't think we can say that the Canadian investment industry has really supported uh, regenerative agriculture so far. And the good reason for that is because agriculture is not the best investment when you want to get great return especially right now when we have a high level of inflation and a high market rates, you know, Uh, agriculture, like farmers, they cannot generate cash, like, crazy cash, you know, like this is something that we have to be aware of. So they have a limited amount of, of cash flows they can give to the investors. And so when we are in this type of markets right now, uh, of course, uh, this is not where they might want to go uh, uh, as a, a forefront, I will say. So uh, that's also like fundamental issues with the way markets have been designed. Also, one of the potential solution will have to say co-benefits. So again, ecosystem valuation services that do offer and we have priced those, so we know the the amount of services, worth the value. Uh, offered by uh, farmers uh, to Canadians, you know, and to the government, to insurance companies. So it's 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 billions, okay? But these billions they are not being transformed into cash flows again, they might reduce risk, they might reduce spending, but in insurance companies, in governments, in municipalities, or healthcare, because we know also that it, having good farmland is, brings more health, like uh, multi health as well, you know? So the the benefits are distributed and no one can really appropriate this value. So that is a main issue we face right now. So again, my main suggestion will be, and this is more the sustainable finance lead was gonna speak here, is that if you really want to solve this problem, we really need to sit down uh, with different people across the value chain, BMO, McKin, the farmers, and say, okay, we have this value of cut benefits here, How are we going to value that? How are we going to pay the farmers for that? How are we going to be sure that it's being recognized in our valuation models? And we're not only looking at uh, the cash flows or the interest rates of the market so far, but that requires a systems lens again. That requires a time horizon that's going to be longer. And it also requires to expand the way we value success. You know, And so I will encourage the investors on, on the call as well to really think about the portfolio like you need a portfolio, and you need farmers, and like to work, and farmland to be to be healthy. If you want your investment in real estate to be healthy as well, so this is what we will need to think about. So expand our scope.
2: Uh, a couple of themes that have come up for me, um, and, and this is one that's quite relevant in Canada, is is population growth, and and we're going through you know a, a period of of rapid population growth. What what are the you know potential risks, but also the potential upside opportunities that this creates when we think about you know regenerative agriculture and 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 what we're aspiring to here. In Canada, I- I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of put that one out there, and I'm gonna see who wants to pick up the mic first and tackle the impact of population growth on our on our discussion here today.
4: I can speak up at this a little. Uh, food safety is really important right now, especially marginalized communities to have access to nutritious foods. What is really important as well when we go to regional tobacco agriculture is to look at the nutrition, like how nutritious the food is. You know, because if you produce crops that are poor quality. Like maybe they're cheaper, but basically they're not functioning as they do and they should. And so what also we point to the to the report, and as I know it's gonna be a controversial statement here. But a lot of farmland is being used for bioethanol. And a lot of farmland is being used, crops, notably in Quebec, to feed parks. So there's also a collective question about what are we using the farmland for? You know, we 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 speak right now with the assumption that all the crops, all the farmland is being used to feed humans, but it is not the case. So that's, I think, the bigger picture is not only about rice, it's about nutrition, the quality of the food we are being fed and that's matters, access for marginalized communities. So it means closer. We need to get farmland close to the urban areas. The more we build, the more we, I'm in Toronto right now, the bigger it becomes, the more expensive it is to access food. We know that, so we need to protect our green belt. We need to protect the farmlands, but also we need to question our usage of the land right now.
2: Yeah,
5: and I would say, uh, we know that by 2050, we must increase our food production by a quarter, just to maintain our contribution, you know, as the world's population swells. So really, regenerative agriculture practice is really about protecting the land from an environmental perspective, and also to build a bulletproof, uh, resilient food supply chain uh, for years to come, right? So unless we take direct action on this, not just from a climate perspective, uh, but also equip uh, our farmers uh, with new tools to combat climate change, but at the same time, build a more resilient system, that's how we're going to get there uh, from a population perspective.
0: Yeah. And then the only other thought I'd layer on is around the need for like technological advancement. That could be in the form of you know farm management tools. It could be new crop varietals. Um, it could be like, cost-effective measurement technologies, et cetera. But I think ultimately, like we've seen a lot of advancement in technology in the egg space specifically. But I think if we want to continue at this pace and grow, I think we're going to need to see more. And this is where the investment dollars need to flow to as well, to DMR's point. Maybe they're lagging right now. Maybe they're difficult to value, but it needs to get to the right places so that we are well equipped to then feed, you know, a growing population.
2: Now, thank you. And, and we, we couldn't go through, um, you know, an hour without talking about the impact of technology and the rapid advancements that it's going to create. And, and so it certainly uh, provides an opportunity in the equation here. I'm going to shift us up a little bit here. Uh, and, and actually, Ryan, in his opening remarks, mentioned something that's worth repeating is collaborations and partnerships. And so, you know, it's great to have somebody join us from the Smith School of Business and, and collaborating with uh, with Ivy Business School. We look at, you know, McCain, we look at BMO, we look at different players coming together. This is not a problem that people can solve independently, working independently. We need to find more partnerships and more collaboration opportunities. So my question is very simply, is how can multi-sector partnerships support us as we move this, this forward? And are there partnerships that are already showing some successes or or maybe some early signs of potential successes. Uh, and then the second part I'll I'll come back to uh but I'll put it out there so the wheels can turn is are, are there potential partnerships that are not yet in, in play that that you'd like to see in the future to move this forward. So uh what are some partnerships that we're seeing that um that are helping us move the needle here? Well, a, we're moving forward and we have our commitment, but it's very
5: important that we work on things uh, through collaboration. So uh, here in Canada, we've launched a soil fund with McDonald's Canada, which uh, gives out grants to our farmer base uh, on uh, giving them financial grants to sort of implement regenerative practices. And that would just be, but m- m- might be one. Um, we have different pilots that are happening uh, around the world in different parts of the world with various actors within the The value chain, which is what is needed, and I think um, you know by working in partnership, we can test the theory. And different actors in the value chain all have a role to play, whether it's the grower, government, financial institutions, uh, and manufacturers, to show that we can collectively work together. Because for us, this isn't about a competitive advantage; it's about all of us working together collectively to advance regenerative agriculture and get us to a much better. Uh, place uh, overall for a brighter future uh, in food production.
2: Yeah, the reality is 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 nobody wins if we don't get this right, and 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 that seems to be the the bigger risk. And so I appreciate. Um, the collaboration comments, Danlor, uh, partnerships that you've seen or, or, or would like to see in the future.
4: Uh, so we took um, uh, in own on ends, I guess, at Ivy. Uh, so we decided to uh, spur collaborative projects. Uh, so we are forming a big team right now. Is other schools as well, and also partners like uh, Ontario Salt Network, uh, Transition Accelerators. And our goal is to do a large randomized control trial to really measure and see whether the uh, innovation towards regenerative agriculture could help advance practices. So our goal is really to form communities of practices to form collaborations, and to test that to see whether this has an impact on practices, whether there's increase of adoption, whether there's an increase of uh, so else. And we want to do that because we want to collaborate with others, uh, practitioners, but also uh, university and natural scientists and social scientists, but also because there's a lack of research on this topic. And so if we believe that the communities and the networks and the collaboration is key, Technology is key, of course, but if collaboration is key, then we really need to uh, test it and and show whether it works or not. At least we can learn from it. So we are starting a pilot in uh, September and we really welcome anyone who wants to join us in this. Incredible journey uh, led by BSV and Yuri Gualandres uh, to really, really catch up with us. We'll be happy to welcome you on board. So, yes, we're doing our part for collaboration.
2: John, maybe I can sort of frame this um, a little bit more specifically in terms of the partnership around sort of government's new sustainable agriculture strategy and, uh, and, and sort of the impact and potential for uh, private investment in sort of sustainable agriculture, if you will. Can you provide some perspective on that for us?
0: Sure. Um, So the sustainable egg strategy was published by Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Uh, They just put out last year a a What We Heard paper, which was really going back and, and, you know, going to a number of different stakeholders, getting some inputs and feedback uh, around, you know, some of the different, you know, levers and pillars that the government should be thinking about in the sustainable egg space. And I think, you know, they made a series of recommendations coming out of that, that What We Heard process. All with an economic lens around the opportunity, right? And, and a few that I thought were really relevant, um, you know, looking at obviously direct and indirect financial incentives, um, really thinking about the the cost of adoption of regenerative egg practices, the return on investment, which has come up a few times today, it's clearly front of mind in implementing some of these strategies, uh, and, and really trying to put a value on the goods and services being created and the impact on nature full stop. And that is the nut to crack. It, it wasn't necessarily saying we have the answer as the government of Canada, but we need to start thinking about these financial incentives and the role the private sector plays specifically to, to get us to where we need to on the sustainable ag side. They also talked a lot about market-based approaches, um, which I thought was good, including actually partnerships and, and collaborations and really using their new strategy to, to really create new standards that would will enable These partnerships and give them some clarity around what environmentally sustainable choices across the agri food. Supply chain can look like, uh, and then sort of building and layering in the role of the private sector, particularly through things like financial products. So, you know, I've, I, we think a lot about this at BMO as well, where we've talked about lo- loans, we've talked about bonds a little bit, but there have to be there has to be some innovation in the products that we provide and the ways that we finance our A clients. Um, we think about things like stackable, you know, fi- finance and insurance products, for example. Think about things like cost sharing agreements. Either with the bank or we're facilitating alongside like consumer goods companies, for example, long term purchase agreements or offtakes, even carbon credits and biodiversity credits are another one that are starting to get a little bit of momentum. But the the, the way that you can incentivize certain nature based solutions and, and implementations that farmers are taking by providing them with an additional revenue stream in the form of a voluntary carbon credit. Um, That's something that we think about a lot and and we know the Canadian government does as well because they've alluded to it in in their sustainable egg strategy. So I'm encouraged that this this What We Heard document is out there. I look forward to really digesting it and understanding what this means for us and the innovative ways that we can support our clients. Yeah, and I would say... Uh, as we look at this, not just in Canada but at large, I think gone are the days
5: where it was the Ministry of Agriculture that would deal with the farmer and that would be the the solve all for everything. I think we need to look things at things holistically through government and ensure that there's the proper table that you know the Ministry of Finance has a role to play, Agriculture has a role to play, and the Environment Minister has a role to play as well. So it's really about integrating the full gambit and value chain within the government and, you know, pulling all the levers that government has at its disposal to help us scale uh, right out of the gate,
2: and, and appreciate that perspective is is different stakeholder groups coming together in 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 new ways, right? It, it's not this sort of linear, you know, this group deals with this issue and that group deals with that issue. Is is no, we we need to bring multiple perspectives to the table, which is going to create lots of new opportunities, but I'll also recognize there's challenges associated with that too. That's right. And that's why, you know, partnerships are important.
5: Like in Canada, there is uh, Kansas, the Canadian Alliance for net zero agriculture that has just launched uh with farmers, producers, banking actors uh, along the way so that we can speak with a united voice uh with the government so that we can work in partnership as we work towards our mutual goals. So, th- thank you.
2: I'm going to throw one out because time is flying. So, I'm going to see if anyone here is willing to, in, in 60 seconds or less, tackle the the other big one that we that we knew would come up at some point in our discussion, which is housing and 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 sort of land and and sort of the balance between need to create more housing, um, need for appropriate land use uh, as it relates to agriculture. Uh,
4: yeah, we've been really, really vocal as well at IB. Uh, we went the the Ontario government wanted to clear the green belt, uh, we actually wrote uh, a report and sent it to an uh, um officials so they could be aware of it you know, and, and the results and so a big part of the report as well is that about the disappearance of farmland so this is a big issue uh especially like in region like ontario Ontario. it's less of a problem in other regions like Manitoba, saskatchewan where it's more like the problem is more like they become a very big farms and it's really difficult for farmers to to really be into the market but yes there's a, a huge conversation about again, farmlands and urbanization, but I think we should not see them in competition. Uh, again, there's a way uh, we show that having farmland close to urban areas is a benefit to uh, the urban areas uh, for food safety, for production. We do have solutions as well. We, uh, uh, we put the solutions in other reports that we share with the government. Uh, we can densify the usage of our lands. Uh, look at what Europe does uh, they can put more people in less space uh, we have also net zero urban uh, transition as well so again I think it's a way to to put farmland against development which is not an accurate way of of saying it. it's you if you get a systems lens you understand that you have to work in pair and and be sure to protect farmland and biodiversity of course
2: thank you uh Charlie John Danlor um in 30 seconds or less you know what would you know any sort of final takeaway or, or one thing that you'd hope our audience sort of walks away from our uh, very interactive and informative discussion here today uh, I will
0: uh, happily because it's like for me there's no plan b we we don't have a backup plan here right we don't have a plan to say we could stop producing food and we can, can expect to continue to feed a growing population in Canada I mean. Farming is the original form of sustainability, right? It's working with the land. It's working with the food to produce and create the food that we then consume. And I think it's over to us in the private sector. And and of course, we've talked about blended finance We've talked about a few structures that pull in the public sector as well. But from a private sector perspective, we have to be there alongside our clients because as we're all Canadians, we all, and I think Ryan said he's on his fourth meal of the day in Germany, but you know we all need to be really intentional about ensuring we have the right incentives in place to ensure we can continue to feed
2: ourselves. And you're right. It's everything from, um, it's such a broad topic and, and the the whole sort of threat of food security and, and, and a growing population. Thank you. Really quick, Charlie, thoughts? Yeah, just thanks for the opportunity today. Um,
5: you know, this is really about uh, partnership uh, for us to get to a better place. It is actually central uh, to ensuring our viability going forward. I do want to talk about Uh, the importance of our farmers and to thank our farmers uh, for everything that they do. At the end of the day, we built our business in partnership with the farmers. And as our founder said, if we don't get the agronomy right, nothing else matters. And this is really a case of getting the agronomy right to set us up for the future so that we can have a viable, sustainable food supply chain. In the years to
2: come, Dan Lore, over to you. Last comments.
4: Yeah, I just want to thank everyone who's been so engaged in the the chat. It's been a really, really active chat, and I just want to say it's everyone's responsibility. We're all food uh, consumers, and we really need to show our support and our love for our farmers. Will look after us, and it's a tough job. So, as saying, I really involve. Like everyone now just to have a look at what they eat and what they buy and just uh, try to make a little difference in the daily basis.
2: Amazing. Uh, if people weren't excited for the report before, hopefully they're even more excited now. Um, Charlie, John, uh, Diane Lord, thank you for uh, for your time here today. It was a really great discussion. As always, I learned something new as well.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Leadership in Practice. We'd like to thank our guests, John Uren. Charlie Angelakos and Diane-Laure Agelis. Leadership in Practice is produced by Joanna Shepard and me, Sean Acklin-Grant. Editing and audio mix by Carol Eugene Park. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe. You can also find more information by visiting ivyacademy.com or follow us on social media at ivyacademy for more content, upcoming events, and programs. We hope you'll join us again soon.